Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Seacoast Vineyard. Man, it has been way, way, way too long. We planted out here uh, three years ago. January will be three years that we, we started the church. So we actually, you guys sent us out right as you were moving into the new building. So this is actually my first chance to really experience the new building and everything. And man, awesome. Awesome. You guys, you guys, it's just, it's amazing. So I'm just uh, so uh, blown away at the privilege to get to see all of y'all again. And those who don't know me, uh, hello, good to meet you. So, are you ready this morning? Did you come ready to hear something from God? Do you need God to move in your life in such a way that it could only be Him, beyond good music, beyond good preaching, that you would leave here thinking, man, God, thank you for speaking into my heart and into my life. Are you ready? Well, I am going to give you the absolute best that I have this morning, and I think that God is going to move in your hearts. So let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, just come and fill this place right now. Holy Spirit, we just want to say that you are invited here. Move in our hearts and our minds. Let your Spirit just come and fill us. Lord, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, Lord, pull and tug on that heart this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Go ahead and be prepared if you are in here and you don't know Jesus. By the end of the service, you will be getting saved. Like, you know, Jesus, he's here and he's going to move on your heart. So, like, just go ahead and give in. You've been running for too long and you know Jesus is just... You're here in church for a reason. So if you would, please, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and beginning with verse 1. It will not be on the screens this morning, but if you have iPhone, iPad, Kindle, any of those things, you could use that. But I like the good old-fashioned Bible. You know, it's something about words printed on this paper. It's just cool, so kind of old school. Just the Bibles this morning. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. Paul speaking, and he starts speaking like this. And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. I'm like this sounding brass, this clanging cymbal. And though I have all of these gifts, all of these prophecies and all this knowledge and all this wisdom and even have this faith, faith that could even move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I could even give all I have and give it to the poor, but again, without love, nothing. And I could even give my body to be burned. All of me, everything, 100%, given it over, yet without love, I am nothing. You see, a few things about love. Love suffers long, and love is kind. Love 
does not behave rudely. It does not envy. It does not parade itself around. It is not puffed up. It does not seek its own. See, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love never, ever, ever fails. But where there's prophecies, they will fail. Where there's tongues, they will cease. Where there's knowledge, it will vanish. You see, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. You see, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I talked like a child, I, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in this mirror dimly, but then, but then it's going to be face to face. Imagine, face to face, and knowing him just like he knows me. Now these things, abide in these things, faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love. Have you ever loved anything? I love all kinds of things. Um, me and your pastor have a few loves in common. We both love to surf. No matter what type of, uh, if it's freezing cold outside or whatever, we will wetsuit it up and we will go surfing because we love to surf. We love music. We have these common, but there's all types of things that we love. Uh, two things that I love this morning that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one is this kind of new love that I'm beginning to experience, and that is uh, sandcastles. I love sandcastles. I love going to the beach and seeing all these kids make these just really cool sandcastles. And then there's like the grown-ups that are professional and they build the sandcastle. And it's the big sea turtle or the alligator or something like that. And it's just amazing. But then, you know, the other little kid runs up and then kicks it down. And then everybody chases them, and it's awesome. But it's just amazing. There's a few rules to sandcastles that, that everyone knows that when you begin to build a sandcastle at the beach, you've got to follow. First of all, every sandcastle needs a good uh, wall built up around it. You've got to build a nice wall around your sandcastle because, after all, the tide is going to rise. And then after you've built that wall, the wall's not quite enough. Then you've got to dig this trench, this kind of moat around the wall. And you've got to dig it real deep. And you dig that center channel from the beginning of it. So that way whenever the water comes, the water goes into that little channel, hopefully, and then disperses around the sandcastle. And hopefully your wall is big enough to, you know, protect it from the rising tide from that water. It's just amazing. I love sandcastles. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Just remember that. We'll get back to it in a second. Uh, One other really great love that I have is my wife's apple pie. Oh, my goodness. My wife makes the absolute best apple pie that you will ever taste. Now, I know some of you ladies are in here and you're thinking, Lucas, but you haven't had my apple pie. You know, I've been, I've been working at 40 years on the kitchen. No, let, let's just go ahead and get serious. Her apple pie is better. It's awesome. She uses the freshest apples. She uses fresh cinnamon and all of these ingredients. And then she, takes the, she makes her homemade 
flour and dough and takes that little pin thing and rolls it out flat. And then she slices it in such a way that the little slices lay over the pie and then they're kind of checkerboardy. And then it just bakes inside of the oven and it just smells oh so good. And then, and then my little daughter, she's one years old, and she walks into the room and she goes like this. I say, yes, baby, that is the smell of heaven. And so we wait, and our mouths are watering in anticipation of this apple pie because, man, it is oh so good. And if you don't mind, a second, Devin, please stand up. This is the apple pie maker. She is amazing. She takes orders after service. Huh? Just plan. No orders because I will eat them all. Um, but the thing about this apple pie, the, what I've learned is the fresher the ingredients, the better it is. The, the fresher that apple was plucked off of that tree, the quicker it can get into my body, the more life it brings me. And that's why there's no life in a Twinkie, because it was never fresh. It was all these preservatives and all of these man-made materials and all this stuff. I don't know, that's why the shelf life on a Twinkie is like 72 years. You know, and it still say the exact same thing. Go and look in your car and then dig through the center console and then behind the seats. You will find McDonald's french fries for 27 years, and they look exactly the same as they did the day they fell there. Something's wrong with that. I'm just saying. But the fresher that it is, the better the more life it gives. You see, that apple was connected to a branch, which was connected to a trunk which was connected to these roots which were connected in the ground which got all of this nourishment and all the water and everything and it flowed through the tree into the apple but something happened a moment came where that apple got plucked or it fell from that tree and when it did it started this other type of process and it made its way into my oven and then into me and then it brought me life see Jesus he tells a story uh, somewhat similar in the book of John, chapter 12. And he tells a, a whole story with one sentence. And he says this in John 12 and 24. He says, uh, unless there's this grain of wheat, and unless this grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, it produces much Increase. It produces much fruit. It produces a big harvest. It produces much grain if it falls into the ground and dies. Now, interesting the language that he uses here. Because uh, right here it says, um, if it doesn't fall, it remains alone. Now, this is the same alone back in Genesis 1 and 2. God is speaking into all of creation, and he is saying, light be earth, be sky, be uh, animals, creatures, uh, horses, fish in the, in the sea, birds in the air, all of this stuff, and all of this creation process. Man, be all of this, and he's speaking, and he's breathing life, and then everything is good. But then he gets to man, and he says this, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. Here, Man, in absolute perfect environment, sin hasn't entered the scene yet. Everything is absolutely perfect. And here God is saying it's not good that he should be alone. Again, now back in John 12, here is the seed. Now, it doesn't matter how perfect the seed is. 
It doesn't matter if this seed has been absolutely shaped by the hand of God and everything about it is just perfect. It's on display for everyone to see. It doesn't matter if the potential inside of this seed is to produce all of these amazing and wonderful things. Because if it just stays there, it remains alone. And alone is not good. But if it falls into the ground and dies, then it produces much. You see, the call to Christianity, the call to follow Christ, is a call to come and die. Come and die that you may truly live. You see, Jesus talks about a life, a life that goes beyond minutes and hours, but a life that's life more abundant. A life inside of Christ that's, that's true living, true life. But there's only one way to get to it, and that is death. Not the physical death that I'm talking about here, but I'm talking about a death in Christ. Baptism. Whenever you went under that water, you came up and you said, God, my life is not my life anymore. It's all yours. Everything that was old is gone, and now I'm a new creation in you. That is when life really starts. But here's the problem. The problem is this. We now live in a world that likes to live without dying. We think we could get all of the benefits without having to go through the process. We think that we can cover certain things up and yet still have this life that Jesus talks about without dying. We think that it, it, somehow I could work these other areas and it'll be okay. Things will get better. And Jesus says, no, there's only one way. Me and you've got to be baptized with me and you may die that you should truly live. And, and see, here's the thing. We have all sinned. The Bible is very clear about that. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I have uh, this one-year-old, absolutely beautiful, precious baby girl that is the world to me. And I love her so much. And people are always kind of coming up and just saying, oh, she's just she's beautiful. She's just so, they use words like, oh, she's just so innocent and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, mm, kind of, kind of. Let me, let me tell you a little story. So um, we're in the house. And beside the stove, we have a spice rack. And uh, she loves to go in, run in there, open up that spice rack, grab whatever spice she can, and then just start chewing on the top. Just and we're just like, no, Kobe, you can't do that. Put back the spices. Because I just know that one day she is going to grab the cayenne, and she's just going and she's going to light herself up, and she's just going to run around the house. And I'm like, so don't do that. Don't get the spices. But she does it anyway. And so we're there, and I'm in the living room, and I hear the little feet into the kitchen. Spice rack. Kobe, don't do it. And so I come walking around the corner. I see her. She turns. She makes eye contact with me, grabs the spice, and runs. (laughs) Sin nature. One years old. And I look at her, and I say, Where do you think you're going? How often are we just like that with God? When God looks at us and God says, Lucas, don't touch that. Lucas, no. 
and I grab it and I run. And I think God looks at me like, where do you think you're going? I'm going to catch you. Where can you run from my presence? Seriously, I'm already there. Hide and go seek. I'm there. You know, can't do it. But yet, I try to live without dying. Um, 1984-ish, I don't know, 88, I don't know, somewhere, 80s. I'm an 80s child. And so if you were an 80s child, the thing that you wanted to do when you grew up was you wanted to be just like Tom Cruise. Cool Tom Cruise in the 80s. (laughs) Not crazy Tom Cruise now. See, back in the 80s, Tom Cruise was Top Gun Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, you know, he's a jet fighter pilot, you know, and that's what every little boy wanted to be. I'm going to be a jet fighter pilot. I'm going to shoot all the bad guys. The, the girl is going to come. She's going to jump into my arms. I'm going to do the 360. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to step off the jet. All of my buddies are going to crowd around me and cheer. They may even, like, lift me up on the shoulders or something like that. It's going to be awesome. That's what I wanted to do for a long time. But then I found out, you know, there's all these things that uh, to be a jet fighter pilot, you got to, like, read manuals. You know, you got a jet fighter pilot school and training and running and stuff. Like, well, you got to run. Who, you, you know, that's all you got to do. Why do I need to run? And so all this stuff was like, eh, not going to be jet fighter pilot. And so about the time that was fading away, there was another movie coming on the scene, and it was Sylvester Stallone, Rocky. And Rocky was awesome. And that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a boxer. Yeah, I'm going to, at the end, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat up all these guys. And then at the end, I'm going to stand up real tall with, with the gloves in the air. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's going to be cheering my name. Yeah, I'm going to, um, only to come to find out that if you're going to be a boxer, you're going to get punched. <sighs> Don't really like that part of it. So that didn't really last too, too long. I only took a couple punches to realize, let's Let's go somewhere else with this one. Um, I wanted to have all of the benefits, but didn't want to pay any of the price. I wanted to live without dying. See, here's the thing. You will never know the beauty of killing a giant until you know the wonder of walking out on that field alone with nothing more than a souped-up rubber band and a couple rocks. See, I'm willing to guarantee that there's some giants in your life. And all of you got is just this. And we would love to stand over the giant and cheer, and the crowds come rushing in, and we win the battle. But it takes that moment where someone steps out in faith and says, all right, God, you're going to do something. See, there's a, a price to be paid. We have to walk out. We have to do it. We have to die so that we can truly live. And sometimes we try to cover up the dying process with all different types of things. And in here, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter. 
to a church, to a church that he loves very much. And right before chapter 13 and chapter 12, he's teaching the church about giftings. And he's talking about uh, there's many giftings within the body, and there's this diversity of gifts. There's all different ways they can be used, but yet there's still, in the midst of all of the diversity, there's a unity. And then the unity is in Christ. And so there's pastors and prophets and teachers and evangelists, and there's this guy that does this thing and this one and this one and this one, and yet we are all in Christ, and there's unity. And so he's teaching the church how to use their gifts throughout the book, and he's teaching them in different ways how they operate and how they come together. But in the midst of talking about all of these gifts, he says, stop. Stop. And then chapter 13 happens. In the midst of all of these gifts, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, if you don't have love, nothing. It doesn't matter if you spend your life pursuing all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge and you're so talented and you could do this so good and this so great. If you don't have love, you've missed the entire point. And so we try to put this to the test. There's another book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes where one of the wisest men ever does just this. He puts it to the test. See, there's this hole in his heart. And he says, you know, my heart says I'm going to seek out to find these different things. And I'm going to see if I could fill this void in my life. And I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm going to gain lots of money. And he did it. He goes out and he's more money than he could spend only to find that the void is still there. Or maybe I'll build big houses and I'll create this awesome kingdom of mine and we'll, we'll do all of these wonderful things, uh, but the void's still there. Or I know what I'll do, I'll fill it with women. So he gets out of women, the, the void's still there. Or I'll fill it with wisdom and knowledge and people will come from all over and they'll hear what I have to say, but the void's still there. And he echoes what Paul echoes. It doesn't matter how much you have of something. It doesn't matter how talented. It doesn't matter about this or that. If you don't have love, nothing. Zero. If you try to live without dying, it'll never work. It will never, ever work. But still, we like to put it to the test. We like to what I call build our own little sandcastles. We like to build our own little kingdom. We spend our lives trying to build these things that we think will bring us pleasure that we think will bring us satisfaction, that we think will bring us joy. But the Bible tells us something that Solomon's echoing and, and Paul's echoing and, he, and even Jimi Hendrix is echoing that all castles made of sand fall into the sea eventually. And so we spend a lot of time trying to build our own little kingdoms. And so we build really high walls around those kingdoms. And we dig really deep trenches all to protect what we've built. All to say, you know, I know something might happen. The tide might rise. So I've got to do all of these things to protect it. And we're trying to live without dying. And when we try to live without dying, that's the outcome of it. Creating our own little kingdom. Another thing that is the outcome of trying to live a life without dying is this. It produces a type of Christian that gives up way, way, way too easily. It produces the type of Christian that the second something goes wrong, I'm throwing in the towel. Something is unexpected, and that's it. I give up. 
Um, not too long ago, I kind of uh, did something that all musicians know that is, you do not do this. This is a, a sin in the world of music. And that is this. I purchased this drum set online. You never do this because you always have to play the instrument. You got to hear what it sounds like. You got to be like, but it was on sale. So I am super, super cheap. And uh, like, I'm going to get this. I'm just going to do it. So I ordered this drum set and I call the guy up. This is what I want. He takes my order. And then after that, he emails me the receipt. So I get the receipt in. Um, I'm looking over, and I see that the shipping address is wrong. It's spelt wrong. And so I think, oh, okay, I'll just call them up and get it fixed. And so um, apparently this is um, just about impossible, that there's no way to change an address in the computer system. Uh, it's what he tells me, and then his manager also repeats it, and then his manager again also repeats this. And so uh, it's the wrong address, you know, I just, I just want the drums. If you could just, whatever it takes, I, I, I want to have the drums sent here. And so all along this process, um, each manager and each person I'm talking with on the phone just keeps assuring me, sir, listen, it, it's okay. If the drums don't come to your house, they will just be shipped back to us and there'll be no charge on your card. It'll be okay. Um, it's, it's an easy return. There's no risk involved. You'll make sure you'll get your money back. Don't worry about a thing. Uh, no, you're not getting it. You have drums, I have money. I give you money, you give me drums. Like, I don't want them to go back to you. I want to have them, and I want you to have the money for them. But everything was just about how they could return the drums, how they could get them back to be no risk. Now, a little bit later, um, I go to another store. We are shopping for a chair, um, nice little chair, which uh, Myrtle Beach has like, 727 discount furniture stores or something like that. And none of them are discounted. Like, what? 70% off. It was, that's not, you know, like, it's like a $200 chair and they have like a $600 price tag. I'm like, no, that's like not a deal. Anyway, so I'm like going around, I'm looking store to store, and I'm going to find the chair that I want because, you know, and it's going to be at the price I want. So I finally find this chair. I look at it, and it's awesome, and the, the guy, uh, what's he called? Sales guy, I guess, whatever. I don't know. He follows you around the whole time you're there, whatever his name is. He's there, and he's just like, oh, well, there's a problem. You can't, you can't get this chair. It's just the, uh, it's just the last display floor model. Um, I was like, but this is the one I want. I like, but, well, let me see. And, was, well, here, here's the thing, sir. If you get this chair... Um, there, there's no returning it. No problem. I don't want to return it. I want the chair. And, but he's like, so you don't understand. If anything happens, you can't return it. There's no exchanges. You're not getting your money back. That's wonderful. He's like, no, listen, sir. If you walk out of this store, if you get hit by a truck, and the truck hits you so hard that the chair flies into the air, while it's in the air, airplane flies by, hits the chair, it goes into a million different pieces, birds fly by, swallow up pieces of the chair, and it flies out into the oceans. You do not get your money back. No problem. Give me the chair. I get the chair, and I love it. I love the chair. See, the thing is, I think that Jesus is a little bit more like the chair company than he is the music company. I think Jesus says, I want you to die so that you can live. And when you die, there's no exchanges. 
No refunds, no returns. Your life is now my life. You are dying and that is it. And it's this thing that we partake in called baptism. And it signifies that whenever I go under that water, that's the end of Lucas. Lucas is dying. And whenever I come up, God, my life is your life. Whatever you have for me, good and bad, it doesn't matter. My life is yours. And see, I, uh, I was telling my congregation that it used to be when we do baptisms, we would just take the person and dunk them under the water and lift them back up. And I said, mm, that's cool, but I think what we're going to do is something a little bit different. Next time, we're going to dunk you under the water and leave you there for a good 15 seconds, just long enough for you to kind of be like, Just to remind you that this signifies death. <laughs> and at that last moment, because <gasps> I want you to want Jesus like you want that next breath. See, the call to Christ is a call to die so that you may live. So that you may live. That you would have life and life more abundant. Amen. Jesus paid the price. He gave it all. He made a way. But he's very clear that he wants everything as well. So we can't live without dying. It never works. And see, I'm here this morning, and I'm looking at your faces, and I know there's a lot of you that say, Lucas, I, I want this kind of life that what you're talking about. I want to live this life that, G, that I read about in the Bible. I want, I want all of that to be alive and active in my life. And, and I know it not just by your face, but I know it by the movies that you watch. I know that you love movies like Braveheart, where, you know, the guy goes in and he just pays the ultimate price. And he does everything he can, and he yells out freedom at the end, there's something inside you that says, that's how I want to live too. And so we watch these movies, we have these moments, and everything within us wants to just give it all to God. See, this is what I believe. So this is what I know. That there is a life waiting to be lived that's free from worry. A life that is free from anxiety. A life that is free from where you have to build your own little kingdom and you have to do everything you can to protect it just in case the water rises. There's a life that's not just full of air, but full of breath. But it will cost you everything. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his best. The lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. You know what that means? That means that moment in Genesis 1 when God looked down and God said, light, moon, stars, man, be. He knew what it was going to cost him. And he did it anyway. It cost him his son. See, love 
is never cheap. Love is patient. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself around. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love never, ever, ever fails. Never fails. But here's the thing. You will fail. And that is the good news because you know what? He never fails. And it doesn't matter how far you may have gone. It doesn't matter if you've spent your years like Solomon or someone else trying to build your own kingdom, trying to fill that void with something else. He is right there and he's saying, come back to me. Come and die so that you can truly, truly live. And I'm there for you. My love never fails. I will never let you down. I will always be there for you in the good times and the bad. But you've got to die first. You've got to give it all to me. I want every bit of it. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. 